Living on a seminary campus is a pretty surreal experience. It's the most, the closest I assume I'll ever get to living in a sort of commune environment. Um, they, we all lived in this one residential area. There were no streets except on the outskirts. So we, were, we could let our children out and, and children would just flow into one house and out through the other. And there was this unwritten rule that you sort of fed whoever was at your table at a mealtime. And that was great. You know, people fed my kids and I fed theirs and it all worked out. But a month or so into seminary, we found out that some of the single adults started showing up for meals too. I'm, I don't know if it's because they didn't like to cook or maybe they just wanted to be and experience a family environment. But there were several of them that would also make the rounds with the kids. And, and one guy who, who came out a lot was this classmate of mine named Robert. And Robert was about six feet five inches and one of the skinniest people you can ever imagine. So you think, oh, maybe he doesn't eat that much. Wrong. <laughs> he had probably the highest metabolism of anybody I've ever encountered. And it was always interesting. Somehow Robert knew what time I was going to serve dinner, even though it wasn't the same time every night. And if he had decided to come sit at our table, he would poke his head in the door and say, do you have room for one more? And I always said, yes, he, my kids loved Robert. He was great with children. And he always made the meal more interesting and lively. And my kids seemed to just not be picky that night and they'd eat whatever was put in front of them. So it was always a good night for me when Robert came over. And one night after dinner, he sat down and he said, you know, Lisa, I've decided to volunteer and take a year off from seminary. And I'm going to go be uh, one of the members of the Young Adult Volunteer Program. It's a Presbyterian program. And they send youth out, youth, young, young women and young men, <laughs> out into the world to do different kinds of mission work and to live in communities around the world. And I talked to Robert a little bit about that, and he had his placement already. He was placed in Kenya, in Africa. And he was talking about this because he was pretty nervous. He knew from other people who had been placed in Kenya that food was going to be scarce, that that was something he would be confronting with his high metabolism in the coming year. And, and he was pretty nervous, uh, but he was determined that he was gonna see it through. And he was assigned to lead worship and do tutoring with the children. So when Robert came back, I, I couldn't believe how much weight he'd lost while he was away. He really did experience hunger. And we talked about it, what it was like to go to bed hungry and what it was like to wake up hungry. Robert's village was filled with people just like the widow that we heard about, people who were always on the verge of cooking their very last meal, not knowing where the next would come from. And Robert shared that there were a few times while he was in Kenya that in his village they couldn't even come up with bread for communion. And he pulled out of his pocket, he carried four stones that had been rubbed into squares. And he said on the Sundays when they didn't have bread, they would still participate because they wanted to be a part of the body of Christ. And they would symbolically use stones for communion bread. And Robert carried those with him. So when Lynn first told me that he was going to be away on vacation this Sunday and said, how, how would you feel about preaching on World Communion Sunday? I was pretty excited 
And at first, all I could remember was being here at this table where I think it was Hillary would just make this amazing display of breads from around the world. I don't even know where she got half of them, but they represented the different cultures that we're so blessed to have in this community in Austin. They represented people of different nations and faiths and races. And it was such a beautiful, beautiful setting. But as fondly as I remembered that table, I kept thinking about Robert's hand with those four stones. So I went to the worship committee and I said, hey, what if we just had an empty basket on the table amid those breads this year? And they said, no, 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 let's start with an empty table. We're going we're gonna to have an empty table. We're all so used to these elements being here, that bread and the wine. We almost take it, or juice, sorry. We take it for granted. So let's start with an empty table this year. I've done a lot of reading about hunger this week, and the experts seem to want to divide it into two problems. It's a problem of production or distribution. You may be surprised to hear that our global food production has increased so much and is increasing faster than our population production. We produce more than one and a half times enough food to feed everybody on the planet. So you remember that widow in our story, the widow who's about to run out of oil and meal. And with Elijah's, Elijah's assurance, this widow experiences a miracle from God, and her supply will not ever run out. We don't have that problem. We have enough food in this world. But one of the members of a Bible study I was in this week said, that this was one of those miracles she was having trouble getting her head around. It's so hard when we've been taught to question and we've been taught science to think, how did that meal continue to last? And we try and rationalize it or explain it. We try and figure out what magic was behind it. And we have trouble accepting it for what it was, a miracle. But if we produce one and a half times more food than we actually need, and there's more than enough food in the world, why are people still hungry? This goes back to that second category that the experts have raised. It's a problem of distribution. We know how to irrigate. We know how to fertilize. We know how to produce food. This is not a problem of production. And this has been true even in the Roman world. They stored up grain in storehouses and they didn't feed the people who were hungry because they were scared. They were holding it for a rainy day. So how are people going to get food? Well, that's where this passage from Acts come in, comes in. They pooled all their resources. Everything was held in common. And if anyone needed anything, they used those common holdings to make sure everybody had what they needed. And we know that Acts presents a very idealized picture, kind of like I presented about seminary. It wasn't perfect. But this idea of sharing throughout Christian communities, it was written over and over and over again by people going, scholars going forward. In the mid-2nd century, Justin Martyr describes about how people would come together and bring the communion elements, and at the end, they would distribute them to the people who needed it. And it goes on and on into the future. We hear this. 
This was the miracle of distribution. We don't have the same problem as the widow anymore. We don't need to pray to God to perform a miracle of production. But we do need to pray to God to perform a miracle of distribution. It's our hands and our feet that are called to work to move the food from one community that has it into another that needs it. And I realize that this church does so much of that already. Food for the First is a great example that people bring canned goods and dried goods and share them on Communion Sunday. That's exactly in replication of what they used to do in the early church. Mobile Loaves and Fishes is another great way that we are distributing food to people who need it. Interfaith Hospitality Network, where we feed people who are challenged with food and housing three times a year. And the list goes on. I could continue to name the programs that this church is involved with. And I also want to acknowledge that it's easy for me to stand here and say, this is a distribution problem when there are countries that are at war. And how do you get food to those people? Countries that don't have infrastructure. Countries where the governments are so corrupt, we can't get the food into the hands of the people who need it. But the other thing I know is that there is a depth and breadth of gifts in this congregation that is a miracle. I'm confident that we have people here who can work to get around some of these challenges. But more than our, more than our gifts and more than our resources, I also know that there is a depth of faith and prayer in this congregation that will be part of that miracle. Because you see, if we tried to do this on our own, it wouldn't happen. We need the faith and the prayer behind it. Those are essential components. Those are the miracle. So I guess what I'm asking all of you to do today is to dig a little deeper and pray a little harder and see what we can come up with to solve the problem of distribution. Ask, are you called to something more? What gifts do you have that you might be able to help? Do you know how to help with the legislation, awareness, or education? Is there some kind of technology that could be used to help solve problems of distribution? Pray about what is my call to fix this problem. As you may have figured out, I've asked people, invited people to bring bread today for, for communion. I'm trying to get us to start thinking and embodying and enacting this distribution miracle today. I asked you to bring bread that was special to you or your family. Maybe it's part of your heritage. Maybe it's something that your mom served. Because I think we can start to take these steps today to bring something of ourselves and share it, even within this community. So when this sermon ends and the music begins, I'm going to invite you to bring your bread forward and place it here on the table. And then later in the worship service, we will share communion from what you all have brought. Then during the final hymn, there are some people who are going to come up 
and take that bread, whatever's left over, and bring it to mobile loaves and fishes to share out in the community. Some of those all elements will also be packaged to go out to those of us who can't be here because that's a little part of the miracle as well. So we're starting off with a miracle right here and right now, and it begins with all of us sharing what we have with one another and praying on ways to do it out into the community. If you have more ideas, more plans, more prayers that you want to share, please make sure you speak with me because I think it's going to take all of us to make this distribution miracle. Amen.